Why don't you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We're trekking our way through a, uh, through a book of the Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, that talks about Jesus being better. He's better than anything. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff that we know that we can substitute um, for what we think is better. And God comes back and says, Jesus is better. We're not the only ones in history who have done that. That's why the, the letter was written. That's why the sermon has been written, is because there's a whole group of people that were turning back to or thinking they could turn back to Judaism. And uh, there were all kinds of qualities about Judaism that they gained great insight from and delight in. And they even tried to find salvation in. And the writer's saying, wait, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And today we're looking at the fact that, uh, that there's a better rest. There's a better rest that Christ offers us in, um, in, in his redemption and the work that he's done on the cross. There's a better rest that we gain from him. What is your picture of rest? What's the picture of rest that comes to mind for you? Is it a hammock in the backyard? Is it a bed? Is it a bed? Uh, I like my bed. I, uh, yeah, I like to sleep. I like to rest. I like going home on Sunday afternoons and taking a nap in front of a, well, in front of a football game. <laughs> I like rest. We like rest. Is it a picture of a vacation? Is it a picture of an oceanside moment? Is it a picture of retirement? No more work, no more nine to five. Uh, and is, is that your picture of rest? Is it illness cured? No more anxiety. No more depression. What is your picture of rest? What's spiritual rest feel like? There's a reason why these pictures are so good to us. There's a reason why we look forward to a nap after a hard day's labor. There's a reason why we labor for a certain amount of time and then we go on a vacation and we do nothing, absolutely nothing. There's a reason why we we, we step away from the rigors of the, the weekly routine and we go and visit friends. There's a reason why rest matters to us. And it so resonates with our soul. Like, I like rest. Do you agree? You like rest? It makes sense to us. What does spiritual rest look like? This text is going to teach us something about a genuine rest. It's not that those other kinds of rests are wrong, okay? It's not that going on vacation is wrong. It's not that even preparing for retirement is wrong. It's not that those things are wrong or evil or bad or unspiritual. It's that there is a better rest. There is a better rest that is an anchor for the soul that there's no amount of absence 
of struggle, absence of work that can substitute. Let's read our text for today, Hebrews chapter 4. Hey, I'm going to move this down and see if maybe it's going to do a little bit less. See if that helps. I just want to be here for you, Chris. All right. Hebrews chapter 4, why don't you stand while, uh, while we read God's word. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, and as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in those words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Praise God for his word, right? Have a seat. Hebrews 4 is a meditation or a deeper continued teaching that began back in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. That's where the writer quoted Psalm 95. And most specifically, it hinges on the word rest from uh, chapter 3, verse 11. If you want to look back there, be reminded. That's kind of the foundation of what we're talking about this morning in chapter 4. Rest becomes the main point of Hebrews 4. The writer quotes Psalm 95. It's a, it's a song of praise to God. Why is he praising God? As you heard the ladies uh, uh, recite Psalm 95 this morning in our call to worship, it is because he is the great king of creation. He is the great creator God, and he is worthy of our praise. So, in light of this, don't harden your hearts toward the great creator, maker God. When he speaks, listen. Don't be like the Israelites who, 
as quoted in Psalm 95, verse 10, who go astray in their hearts. And then, in chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, he makes it really clear that he's speaking and pointing the finger at Israel. Now, he's not talking down to them. He's not trying to be cruel or diminish them, but he is speaking the truth about their disobedient, rebellious hearts and saying, by contrast or similarity, whatever the case may be, don't be like them. Don't do what they did. The focus on the hardness of heart in chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, is really, really important because it sets up a contrast to rest. When we listen to the hardness of heart, we listen to the opposite when we get to chapter 4 of hardness of heart when we talk about rest. Hardness of heart is disobedience and rebellion and self-saving behavior. Rest is trusting, walking with, following, delighting in another who is a savior. There's a lot going on in Hebrews 4, but don't be distracted. There is really only one main point of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, and it's very clear and simple. Here it is. Enter his rest. Enter his rest. It's, uh, it's spoken of, rest is spoken of 12 times in 13 verses. So that should be enough to convince us that this passage is about rest. But listen, he says it specifically in verse 1 and verse 11. Let me get them for you. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. Or 11, let us therefore strive to enter his rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Don't miss it. Don't miss the opportunity to enter his rest, is the point of 4, 1 through 13. And he's going to want us to see four things. Here's my outline if you want to write it down. He's going to want us to see four things to make his point. And the first is what I've already said. Fear not entering his rest. Fear not entering his rest. There is a better rest for you. Fear not entering it. The second point is this. What kind of rest are we talking about? He wants you to see there's a better rest. What kind of rest is it? The third point is this. This rest is still available today. Not just for Israel. Not just in the old covenant. Not just in the New Testament church, but it is available today. You know what today means? It means today. The fourth point is this. We need to hear the urgency. We need to hear the urgency of entering his rest. So here we go. Let's jump in. The first point is this. Fear not entering his rest. You need to fear not entering his rest. And we don't like the word fear right from the get-go, right? Because as Christians, we've been taught that there is a stability, there is a, there's a confidence that we get to have because of Christ. And that is true. But this text doesn't go away just because that's true. It says fear 
not entering his rest. Fear not entering. The NIV says, be careful. I think that is a very poor translation of that word. Fear is, is, is a ah! kind of thing, not you're getting a little close to the edge kind of thing. Fear in this context is be very, 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 very concerned. Fear not entering his rest. Every child needs to learn not to run into the street, right? We teach our kids how not to run into the street. And when we talk to our children about not running into the street, we put on the dad voice. We speak very clearly. The tone goes down just a little bit. The volume goes up just a little bit. The eye contact is sure, possibly a hand on the shoulder. Don't run into the street. Got it? I want you to fear running into the street. I want a healthy sense of concern about danger. This is the kind of fear we're talking about. Now, does that kind of fear limit us and give us all kinds of anxiety? Now, my kids learned to play in the backyard, and they never once came running in the house saying, Dad, there's a street out in front of the house. <laughs> no, it's, there's a fear that they learn and they grow in. They understand that that is somewhere I am not supposed to be. But it doesn't bring anxiety. It actually is a fear that brings a confidence. It actually is a fear that brings a clarity, a boundary. It's, it's a fear that brings an understanding of where I'm supposed to be and where I'm not supposed to be. That's the picture of this statement about fear. Fear not entering his rest. We don't walk through life saying, saying to ourselves, oh, oh am I going to enter his rest? Oh, am I, am I there? Am I there yet? Am I, at the, am I at the place of rest? No, we don't walk like that. The same way my children don't freak out about a street in front of our house. That's not the picture. The picture is your understanding of rest travels with you and you understand it. And when I say it, when I say fear entering his rest, those of you who are in Christ and the spirit of God is alive in you, resonate with the truth. Fear, fear entering his rest. It's not a fear that brings a lingering anxiety though. It's a fear that brings a clarity. Don't miss it the way the Israelites missed it. That's what the author is going to say. Some failed to reach it. Some failed to enter the rest. Don't be like them. Verse 2 says, there's a good news that came to us and a good news that came to them. Who's in view here? The us. This makes sense to us. It's the New Testament writer himself Right? The good news came to him. The, the good news of the gospel came to him. And as he speaks the good news of the gospel, he's, he's speaking it to his listeners. So the us is immediately the writer and the people who are reading the letter. We are part of the us. Who's the them? The them is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant Israel. 
the gospel also, the scripture says, the gospel was also preached to them. And you say to yourself, wait a minute. Jesus came and that's where the gospel started. Not true. Not true. God is a God of grace and kindness and forgiveness all the way from the beginning of time. It is the character of God. The gospel was preached all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and 15 where the promise of the seed of a woman is going to come and and crush the head of Satan and bruise the heel of the Savior. The gospel in the Old Testament was also clear to the apostles. Tell me, if you remember, when Paul wants to teach about justification, where does he turn? He turns to Abraham. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness. When, when Paul wanted to support his understanding of justification, he turned to the Old Testament where the gospel was preached, right? The reality is that God showed himself to be gracious and kind and forgiving to Israel over and over and over again. And they rejected God over and over and over again. And it did not, based on our text here, it did not benefit them. The gospel was preached and it did not benefit them. Listen to the ways God makes himself known in the gospel of his character, through his character and his actions towards Israel. He makes himself known. Remember these things in history, in the history of Israel? They are enslaved by an evil master in Egypt, and God leads them to freedom. There's an angel of death that comes through Egypt and through the houses of Egypt and the houses of the Israelites. But God provides a Passover lamb. They're trapped at the Red Sea, but they go through on dry ground. They don't know where to go, but there's a a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There's an oppressor that is chasing them down, but the oppressor is destroyed in the Red Sea. They have no food, but manna six days a week. No water, water from a rock, bitter water. They get fresh water from God, shoes and clothes that don't wear out, the promised land, the law, the tabernacle, the temple, the prophets, the priests, the king. What did God do with Israel that didn't communicate the gospel, right? And he preached this gospel to us. The same news that that, that went to them came to us only clearer and in person, in the person of who? Jesus. And the warning is, the warning is this, that just as they heard the message, we, we hear the message that much clearer. Just as they had a revelation, we had the perfect revelation of who God is. Just as some of them didn't respond There are some of you, there are some of us, there are some of Lake County who have not responded to the gospel. God showed himself 
for sure, to be gracious and kind and forgiving. And they rejected. Has God not shown himself to you? Over the years, in the message of the gospel, as the word of God has been taught, as you hear the gospel going through your ears and through your soul, have you not heard of the goodness and the gracious kindness of God in Christ Jesus? Don't fail to enter his rest. Rest, based on this text, look at verse 2. Rest comes by faith. Rest comes by faith. There are some who hear and, and, and they listen with an eye roll and with skepticism and they are unable to trust God. But there are some who listen and who are united to others who by faith also listen to the gospel. There's a difference, listen to the nuance there. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Listening in this text mixes with it faith. And because there is faith mixed with the listening to the truth of the gospel, there is an intermingling of those who believe by faith and those who believe by faith. That's what the word coming together, it translates as mingling together. They come together with those who believed by faith. We get a picture there of the body of Christ, do we not? From the garden until today, rest has always been a matter of trusting God at his word. Believing, following, trusting, delighting in most, more than anything else in all of creation. Delighting in God. So what kind of rest? Be more specific, Pastor Jeff. Be more specific. What kind of rest are we really talking about? How do I lay hold of something I don't understand? So glad you asked that question because that's exactly where the writer goes. He wants you to understand the rest a little bit more clearly. Verses 3 through 5 talks about entering this rest. It's a better rest, and he talks about the kind of rest that it is. Now, I want to make something clear here. While you read a text like this, I know it happened with me. When I just read a text like this, I think it looks like a mishmash of phrases and Bible verses. And if you're trying to teach it and you've never studied it before, it can be really, really confusing. I am acknowledging that. But the writer is not what we call proof texting. The writer didn't get out his Bible software and and type in rest and say, where can I find the word rest and piece together a theology of rest? No, this writer has an honor and a respect for the history of redemption, and he's looking at rest from a biblical theological perspective. And he's going to teach you from history what kind of rest he's talking about. Is he talking about physical rest? Is he talking about emotional rest? Is he talking about relational rest? Verse 3 says, those who believed enter that rest. What kind of rest is it that they entered into? 
verses 3b through 5, it expounds on it a bit. Now, you're going to have to put on your thinking caps a bit. Have your Bible open. Look at these texts, please. 3b through 5, 3b and 5. These are quotes from Psalm 95. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The word wrath sits there in the verse, and it can be a distraction, but don't be distracted. The emphasis here in those two quotes, which are actually the same quote from the same passage in Psalms, is my rest. My rest is the emphasis here. What kind of rest is it? It's my rest. In in, in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, all the way through verse 4, it points back to Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It points back to the creation account where God worked for six days. He worked for six days in creation, and on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. We're getting closer. My rest. What kind of rest? God's rest. What kind of rest? God's kind of rest, and it's exemplified in creation. What God did is he, he spent six days working, laboring in creation. And on the seventh day, he consecrated it. He did not work. He counted it holy, and he rested. The work of creation was complete. The work of creation was done, never to be revisited until the new heavens and the new earth The work of creation in six days, completely done. And he says, it is very good. And he rests. We're getting a little bit clearer on the picture of the kind of rest he's talking about. It is not physical rest. God was not exhausted. Even after making woman, God was not exhausted as complicated as she could be. (laughs) Because I love you so much. (laughs) As complicated as it is, he, he did not need, he did not need some couch time. It's not emotional. He, he wasn't stressed out over the situation. And it's not relational. God did not need some me time after all of this. God worked and he labored and it was very, very good. And at the end of day six, his work was complete. Creation was done. No more work needed. Finished. This does not mean that God is never working. Okay? When we say God rested, it does doesn't mean that God is never working. Jesus actually says, my father is always at work, right? But when it comes to creation, he is done. It is a Sabbath rest. So, track with me here, okay? If God enters Sabbath rest at the end of creation, and creation is done... How long is God in Sabbath 
rest. There's got to be a math teacher who can figure that out. Forever. Forever. Now, day seven had 24 hours in it, right? But the the rest that God is talking about is not a 24-hour time frame. The the rest that God is talking about is is a forever Sabbath rest. It is an eternal rest. God is still in the midst of Sabbath rest today. We're getting close, aren't we? Really close. His rest from that work will never be revisited. This was so important that God put Sabbath rest into the rhythm of life for Israel and even for us today. Work six days, rest one. Work six days, rest one. I want you to remember my Sabbath rest. So what kind of rest does a writer want us to see? Let me just pull the veil back if you haven't already picked it up. What kind of rest does the writer want us to see? He wants to bring into view rest that stops working and trying to complete something that has already been completed. There is work that has already been done. And for you to labor at it is to actually ignore the rest that has been provided for you. Verse 10 says, For whoever has entered God rest has also rested from his works as God rested from his. Friends, take a deep breath. Sigh, exhale. Stop trying to impress God with your behavior. Salvation before the Lord is not a performance thing. You've been provided for through the work of Christ. You can't work hard enough. You can't go to church enough times. You can't finish enough reading plans. You can't be nice enough today. You can't be kind enough. You can't be holy enough. God has provided for you a rest. God has provided for you a rest that's far greater than anything that you could possibly attain for yourself. The fact is, you can't attain it for yourself. Stop trying to impress. Stop laboring for your salvation. Stop working in ways that God has already provided for you. Have a believing heart, a trusting heart, a following heart. Trusting the work of Christ is enough for you. Can you say that this morning? That Jesus is enough. The work that he accomplished for you is enough. And rest. This rest, this salvation, this grace-oriented, this gospel rest is an eternal rest. And when you enter that rest, there is no more laboring to gain it again. It is yours. He has provided it. 
What kind of a rest is it? It's a rest that ceases from working to obtain the rest. Verses 6 through 10. Verses 6 through 10 talk about this rest that is available today. It's not being held out. God is not one to set set forth the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ and then hold it back from you. Little sidebar, there's four nuggets from this text that I want you to see. Four nuggets. Sidebar, uh, this first sidebar is this. We need to see that This writer believes in the inspiration of Scripture. And here's where where I want you to see it from. Look at your your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. What does it say? Who's actually talking here? It says, as the Holy Spirit says, right? So the Holy Spirit is talking here. And look down in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. It's referring to the same quote. It says, David says, today, if you hear his voice. Now, wait a minute. Is it the Holy Spirit speaking or is it David speaking? And then, even more so, look at verse 8 in chapter 4. It says, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So we have the Holy Spirit talking and we have David talking and we have God talking all in the same Psalm 95. Who is it? And the answer is, yes, yes. The writer of Hebrews is affirming that the Holy Spirit is God, first of all. He's a Trinitarian. He believes the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinitarian. He also believes that God, through the Holy Spirit, is speaking through David. And he affirms that here in Scripture. This is how the inspiration of Scripture happens. Second thing I want you to see, there's a word play that you're not going to see. You're not going to see it in English. I didn't see it in English. It's subtle. But But in Greek, Joshua and Jesus, they have the same spelling. They have the same spelling. So so what the author is trying to say here is, while, while Joshua led Israel into the promised land, there is a there is a better. Jesus, Joshua, Jesus, led them into the promised land. There is a better Jesus. There is a better Christ who has led us into our rest. There's also a timing argument here. It says it remains for some to enter his rest. And the writer goes back to Psalm 95 in verse 7 with an emphasis not on today, not on rest, but on the word today. He said, God appoints today through David in Psalm 95, so long afterward. You got to track with this. Rest, the promised land, was offered to Israel right after they left uh, Egypt. And then rest also was offered, the promised land was offered to Israel 40 years later while they were in the desert. And Joshua led them in. That's about 1500 B.C., Okay, that's about 1500 BC. About 500 years later, David says, God speaks through David, that is, in Psalm 95, he says, today rest is available. Today rest is available for you. 
there is a better rest than the promised land. Now, if David's talking about it 500 years later, he must be talking about a different kind of rest. And he is. He's talking about a Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest that's spoken here in Hebrews chapter 4 is the only time that word is used in all of the New Testament. And it speaks specifically of a future kind of rest that you and I are going to experience in glory. He's talking about a future rest, and, and it looks something like this. Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Do you long for this kind of rest? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. There is a rest for the people of God that's even beyond the rest of security in our salvation today. There is a rest for the people of God that is the something more than all of this. There is a rest for the people of God where all tears will be wiped away and there will be no more illness and there will be no more fear of of enemies because the enemy will be done away with. There will be no more relational struggle. There will be no more sin. Well, brothers and sisters, there is a better rest. And that rest, rooted in the future, is available today. That you might understand, you might know what God has provided for you. Verses 11 to 13 is an urgency. It's a, it's, it's a warning again. It's that we are to heed the urgency of entering his rest. The author hits repeat and says, says, you need to make sure that you enter this rest. And the picture that I get in view here is one that you might not have ever been taught or thought about. It's something I hadn't thought about until this week. My dad used to recite this text before every single sermon. That's 20 years of me listening to that. This specific text is something that he recited for 20 years. And what was ingrained in me is that there's this honor and respect for the word of God. And that is true, amen? That is absolutely true. But that actually isn't the context of where this is coming from. This is actually in the context of a warning. This honor of God's word is in the context of a warning because verse 13 is just as true as verse 12. Listen to it. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. The imagery here of the sword of the word of God and of judgment, it cannot be denied. And what this is referring to in the context of the writer of Hebrews' understanding of Israel and, and all they had been through, what the, what the image he wants us to, 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 he wants to invoke in us or evoke in us is this picture of Israel 
who did not go into the promised land, right? And God comes to Moses and he pronounces judgment on them. He says, you're not going to go into the promised land. Not only you're not going to go into the promised land, but you're going to spend 40 years in the desert. And while you're there for 40 years, every male over 20 is going to die. There's only three that are going to be left. Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. And everybody freaks out and says, no, 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 no. We'll do exactly what you said. We'll, do, we'll, we'll go into the promised land. And we'll, we'll go take the, we'll, and Moses says, don't do it. Don't do it. God's not going to go with you. You've already exposed your heart that it is unbelieving and rebellious. And this is what it sounds like in Numbers 14, 39 to 43. When Moses told these words to all of the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. But Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up for the Lord is not among you lest you be struck down before your enemies. Listen, for there are Amalekites and Canaanites are facing you and you shall fall by the sword. You shall fall by the sword. Just as judgment reached Israel, there is a sword that cuts deeper than the sword of the Canaanites and the Amalekites. There's a sword that cuts with more precision to the heart of man. He has seen if you go astray. He sees the heart of man. Even if you say and do all of the right things on the outside, the word of God reveals what is really going on on the inside. And with God, there is no place to hide. There is no place to hide from his sight. And the word of God, we talk about it like a precision instrument, a precision tool of, of, a, of a surgeon. What this is saying in this context is that this word of God will judge your life. It will see you to the depth of who you are. And it knows, he knows He knows whether you have a hard heart or you are resting in the gospel. Friends, stop working for your salvation and rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got one thing to say. I think we have a, an announcement um, that's going to come right after. I've got one thing just to offer to you. Um, worship team, if you guys just hold off. I went really long, so I'm sorry. Um, Jesus. Jesus doesn't forget the theme of rest. Jesus actually invokes over and over again the theme of rest. He says in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, he says this. Come to me, 
all who are labor and heavy laden. Now, are you working? Are you laboring? Do you really think Jesus, at this point, do you really think Jesus is talking about a hard day's work? He's not. He's talking about your religiosity. He's talking about your performance. He's talking about everything that you think that you're doing that is impressing God so that he'll like you. All who labor on heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And how does he give us rest? Next week, next week there's a young man that's going to come and talk to us about Jesus, who is our mediator. He's a priest. Every opportunity that you had and have to enter rest, that you failed to do so, but his grace covers you and holds you and keeps you in the family, there is a mediator. There is a priest who is a better priest and mediates on your behalf day in and day out. Never, never resting so that we can rest. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for us and then there's going to be an announcement. Go ahead. Oh, Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for every word of your word. And we pray, Lord God, that you, Spirit, would Use the words spoken. Use the word of God written. Use your authoritative word in our lives to convince us where we are not resting in the gospel that we get to run to you to convict us where we are not resting in the gospel. That that is sin. That is evidence of a rebellious and unbelieving heart. Would you comfort us with the words? where we are not walking with you, where we are not resting in the gospel, would you comfort us that your gospel is true, that every moment is covered under the grace of God for those who believe, those who are resting by faith in your truth. God, we do love you. We do ask for your help. We do ask you that, that, that as you shape these things in our heart, as we go from this place, would you make it evident in our conversations, that we long for rest, that we want rest for one another, that we pronounce rest over each other instead of performance and, and, uh, and, and, and thinking that we're going to make somebody get it done so that they can think that they're saved. Oh, God, watch over us as we have conversations, as we walk through our week, that we genuinely can walk and work in rest. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thank you.